You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Um, is this, is that these principles really can be applied to our own lives, right? We don't have to look at these parents just in really the best thing to do. Matter of fact, one of the things we'll talk about today is that we really have to apply these things to our personal lives. If they don't exist in our lives, then they certainly won't exist in our children's lives. Um, and so just take these as individual, individual things. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. So I want you guys to take notes today. If you will, you can open up your phone, uh, on, uh, take notes on your phone or paper, wherever you want. Um, we're going to be covering a lot of ground. The last thing I want to say before we jump into this is that by no means... Is this a conclusive um, thought on parenting? There are folks out here that with a tremendous amount uh, more parenting experience than I have. And um, some of you have great wisdom here. That's why we need the body. That's why we need to be in fellowship because we glean a lot of that just by being around other people who have walked where we're going. And um, And then also, I have not mastered these things. And if you need proof of that, my kids will be in the back and tell you, yeah, he hasn't gotten point one, four, five, seven, like, okay. And so just understand that there is a tremendous amount of grace here. I don't want anybody to, to leave here discouraged. Don't leave discouraged. Understand that no matter where you are in your parenting journey, if you feel like maybe you're falling short, it's okay. We all fall short. Parenting is hard. It's hard work. And so sometimes we feel like we fall a little bit behind. But if we look to the Lord, If we look to the Lord and we look to his word and we understand that we're firmly looking into the eyes of our heavenly father, we can get to the place where we need to be by God's grace. He will take us there, okay? So please, please, please be be encouraged. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we have. Lord, we're going to come to your word. Your word is life. Your word is truth. Holy Spirit, make the word alive in us and conform us to the image of God of your word. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to receive, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a couple of funny things before we get started. A couple of funny stories slash jokes um, I picked up, and uh, I think these are funny. A four-year-old boy and his father went to the beach. These are parenting fails, by the way. A four-year-old boy and his father went to the beach. There was a dead seagull lying on the sand. The boy asked his dad, dad, what happened to this birdie? His dad told him, son, the bird died and went to heaven. The boy quickly replied, and God threw him back down? <laughs> all right. We've all been there, huh? Who's been there? <laughs> Kids trump you in their wisdom there. Like, oops. <laughs> Here's another one. <laughs> this one's a little bit steeper. Okay, here we go. A father was trying to teach his young son the evils of alcohol. He put one worm in a glass of water and another worm in a glass of whiskey. The worm in the water lived, and the, and the one in the whiskey curled up and died. All right, son, asked the father, what does this show you? Well, dad, it shows you if you drink alcohol, you won't have any worms. <laughs> Ba-boom. Uh-huh. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> Why are we talking about a pattern for positive parenting today? Um, is because, again, parenting is hard. It's hard. It's hard. Parenting is hard. If we're going to be honest, we're going to be real, parenting is hard. Uh, It's emotionally hard. Kids will tug on your heart like nobody else in this world. They will tug on your nerves like nobody else in this world. (laughs) They will push all your buttons like nobody else in this world. 
It's physically hard. Anybody have to chase around a toddler lately? It's physically hard. You will be exhausted. Your grandparents, when your grandkids come over, you're like, take them back, right? If they're at that toddler age. Parenting is also hard because it's spiritually hard. It's spiritually hard. Why? Because we have to trust God deeper and more intensely in this point of our life than ever before. We have to trust God for the safety of our kids. We have to trust God for the future of our kids. We have to trust God for relationships for our kids. We have to trust God. And oftentimes, parents, we get to identify closely with the heart of God through these times that God brings us in through our parenting process to begin to trust him in a deeper way. Because then we actually really find out and we really begin to understand that God loves our children more than we possibly can, which thinks sometimes we think is impossible, but it's really true. And that's the depth of the love of the Father that the Father has for us. But parenting isn't just hard. Parenting is important. Parenting is the most important job that we can ever be given if that's what God has designed for us. The idea of parenting really is the process of discipleship that God holds dear to his heart. Our children are our first priority. They're our top priority when it comes to the spiritual guidance of people in our life. They're the people that God has given us to disciple, and parenting really is just discipleship. And so when we think about this, we honestly need help, don't we? We, we need something to anchor to, something to latch hold of, and thanks be to God that he has given us some things to hold on to in, our, in his word that we can take and receive some help from. And so today we're going to talk about just one quick parenting pitfall to avoid, one parenting pitfall that I believe the Word of God says that we all need to avoid, we all need to pay attention to, and we all need to avoid. And then I'm going to talk about a couple of keys to positive parenting, and then we're just going to simply wrap it up by saying, how do we get to there from here, okay? How do we get there from here? And so as we start, I want to look at a passage in Ephesians 6, uh, 1, and this is probably the most familiar passage around parenting. We love it, parents, because of the first part, and then it comes with a bit of a warning to us parents in the second half of it. Some of you could probably recite this by heart. But this is what Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, Now, kids, listen, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. If you're an adolescent or a young person here, if you have parents as an adult and it's difficult for you to honor them, here's the key, is that you're not honoring them first and foremost. You're honoring the Lord. So if you can honor the Lord through them, honor will come easy. If you can see what the Lord sees about that person, honor comes easy. This is the key. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. We have a joke in our house when our kids disobey. I'm like, you just cut a year off your life. (laughs) They don't like that joke. All right. Neither did you. All right. Here we go. Fathers, do not Exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Some of your translations may say provoke. Do not provoke your children. And I just want to spend a second talking about that concerning a parenting pitfall that we all need to stay away from. A parenting pitfall that we have to absolutely avoid. And I believe there's honestly one in everything, every mistake that follows Uh, we may have in parenting kind of stems from this one thing. And it's this idea that the Scripture talks about and says it several times in the New Testament, not to provoke your children. 
Don't extend your kids past the place of their understanding of health, of life. And how does that happen? How does provocation happen? Provocation comes from the position of lack in our own life. Let me explain. Is that when we begin to either guide or discipline or chastise or do anything in our kid's life that stems from a lack in our life, we begin to get into the position of provocation. When we don't understand, when we're neglecting um, understanding or patience or the needs of our children, what happens is that then we begin to sit in this place. I'm going to give you an example that you guys can all understand and you probably can relate to. My son, um, when he was a little guy and we lived in Los Angeles, he had just started playing soccer. And um, my son is uh, an amazing athlete and he is a great soccer player. He is far more talented than I ever was. I hate to admit it. I always kind of you know, we're at that age where I'm always like, I'm better than you. I know that I'm not, you know, I'm not faster than him anymore and whatever. It's just where it is. But when he was a little guy, um, he played soccer. And this stage of the game was soccer. And those of you who have been, had kids that have played a sport, any sport, baseball, basketball, soccer, anything or done anything, this is the stage of the game when nothing's really happening. They're just moving around in little groups all over the field, Right. Like, they're not even kicking the ball most of the time. They're primarily running into each other and falling on the ground or picking at grass. This is that game. And the type of parent, uh, let me stop. All right. (laughs) Okay. This is what I did. I'm embarrassed by this. Is that I stood on the sidelines loving the game of soccer and loving my son deeply. And I would begin to say, son, come on, come on, come on, come on. And the game ended. They didn't even keep scoring this game. And as a dad, I was just like, oh, what? Oh. I, blew my, I blew out of proportion. So I pulled my son over to the sideline. And after all the kids left, I said, son, I want you to run up and down this field because I want you to learn to run fast. My little guy <clears throat> started running and they started crying. My wife had done left at that time. She knew that what I was doing was crossing a line. And I stopped and I saw my son and I realized that I had stepped into the place of provocation. That I had dishonored the Lord and I began to break my son's heart. And what I was doing was coming from a lack of my patience, a lack of my understanding, and a broken place in my heart. And when the scripture says, do not provoke your children to wrath, what it's telling you is this. Make sure you are taking care of the condition of your heart so that you can protect the very thing that is dear to God's heart, which is your child's heart. And here's the key. So here's the pitfall, but here's the key. And really, we could honestly stop the message here and all go home. Because if we get this, this will actually just transform the way we parent. But if we would begin to pursue a passionate relationship connected connected to the Father heart of God, meaning that we identify with the Father heart of God, it would begin to transcend out of us to the way we begin to raise and train and love our children. And so this is the pitfall. And so listen, right where you are, no matter what stemmed out of maybe an angry conversation, you're not going to do this in my house, and it came to maybe close to blows. Anger, something that caused a division. Listen, if something you did 
came from a place of lack in your life, the only way to get back from there is to allow the Holy Spirit to heal your heart and then to go and make amends. God is very passionate about unity, very particularly passionate about unity within the family. All right, so here's a pitfall to avoid, something to stay away from and understand we've all been there. We've all fallen victim to that to that pothole there, to that pitfall. We've all been there, but there is a place that God gives us through his grace to get out of there. And so we need to take advantage of it, and we need to make sure that as parents, we are filling up our hearts to overflowing so that we have something to give of the goodness of God to our kids. We've got to be full. It is a very real thing. There's no more time to be full than it comes when it, until it comes to your your kids. All right, so let's talk about some keys to positive parenting. Some keys to po- positive parenting. I've got seven keys here. I know that seems like a lot, but just write these down as we go through them. Maybe some of you have some things to add to them. You can make notes to these as you go along. The first is this understand your children's strengths and their weaknesses. Understand your children's strengths and their weaknesses. Your child will have amazing, amazing strengths. They're going to have amazing strengths, but they will also have some weakness. They will also have some things that they are not so good at. The key to positive parenting is to focus on those things that are strengths in our kids. To begin to encourage those things that are strengths to our kids. And every one of my kids, there is a set of strengths that they possess. They are unique to them. They are wonderful to them. But every one of them have things that they have to work on. There are things in their character, in their life that they are working through, that they are going through. But the thing is, is that I don't focus my time and my energy strictly dealing with their weaknesses until I have fully encouraged their strengths. Until I have fully encouraged our strengths. Now stop and think about this in the workplace for just a second, adults. And understand in those reviews that we have in in our careers and at our workplaces. Whenever your employee comes up, if you've ever been in a bad review, a bad review goes like this. It's a laundry list of the things you're doing wrong. And at some point, if you've ever sat through one of those, you begin to tune out, don't you? You begin to stop listening because your heart gets offended. You get taken back. But a good review focuses first on your strengths and brings up the things and the assets that you are giving to the workplace and to the team there. In the same way with our kids, they need to be constantly reminded of the value that they are adding to the family structure. It is important that they are there. They bring a certain amount of life to our home. It's amazing. We had one go off to college this last year. And it's crazy because with five kids, you would think that we wouldn't feel it at all. But we did. We missed her. We missed seeing her. We got over it, but we missed her. No, I'm just kidding, Maddie. I love you. Uh, We felt the absence because why? Because there was something that she brought to the family structure that was important to us. And so we can encourage her through that. But then what about the weaknesses in our kids' lives that we have to kind of help them, guide them through? What do we do with that? We have to teach our kids that weakness is an opportunity to receive help. Why? Because every one of us 
have weaknesses and there are things that we have to get through with the help of somebody else. We can't live a disconnected life. We can't live an isolated life. We have to have people in us. And the importance of picking the right people who see your strengths and will help you through your weaknesses is a critical life choice. And when we begin to teach our kids to put people around them who can help them through that, we begin to guide them on how to make good relationships. We also have to teach our kids that weakness is a chance to trust God. There are simply things that we all have in our life and your kids have in their life that are not going to be hurdled by a hug. They're not going to be hurdled by a pep talk. They are going to have, there may be things that they carry with them for their life. But if they learn to look up to God and to trust God as the source of their strength and the source of their identity, they learn that even in their weakness, the scripture becomes true that they're made strong, don't they? That they learn to turn to somebody who is always there, that they develop a relationship because they know that they are dependent upon God to help carry them through some of the harder points of their life. And parents, understand this, that we teach and we teach and we try to get kids to understand that they need God, but it is very easy to teach a kid to understand to trust God when they see that they can only rely upon him. I remember my mom, when she sent me off to college, it was a beautifully, it's funny because um, I would love to know her thought on this, and maybe some of you moms could tell me afterwards, but here's the thing, is that my mom sent me from Washington, D.C. to Dallas, Texas to, to Bible college with a one-way airplane ticket and a, and a, lug, and a piece of luggage. <laughs> I guess in my, mom, my, my mind, my mom was great. Maybe my mom was ready to get rid of me. And so, and so she sends me off, and, and, and the conversations that ensued on a payphone, a payphone, kids, you don't know what that is. That actually hangs on the wall, has a cord attached to it. You had to put money back into it back in the day. And so I would have to get to the end of the hallway, and I had to call mom and be like, oh, I'm freaking out, mom. And my mom would say, hey, son, you need to trust the Lord. What did the Lord tell you? But nothing. I don't know, Mom. What are you talking about? You're at Bible school, son. You've got to figure out what the Lord's saying. I can't. I'm going crazy. Settle down, son. Trust the Lord. You know what my mom never did? She never gave me a, round, a ticket back to say, come home and, and leave and quit. You know, the one time I wanted to quit, the question she asked me was this. And it stuck me dead in my tracks. And I was at a deep, deep place at that point in my life. It was deep. Looking back on it today, not so deep. I was like, Mom, I got to quit. I got to quit Bible school. I can't walk on the grass here. Like, this is bad. And that's literally true. The Bible school I went to, some of y'all know. And, and, and I was like, I can't, God, I just can't do it anymore. I'm a, and my mom said, Andy, did, did God tell you to be there? And I knew God did. It was the craziest thing. I knew. I knew. Like, I really knew. I didn't know many things, but I knew. I said, yeah. She said, did God tell you to leave? <laughs> Click. <laughs> it's a dumb question. It's a question that got me stuck. 
And here's what my mom was doing is that she was saying, listen, son, in your weakness, you've got you to learn to t- turn to God. In your weakness, you've got to learn to turn to God. The next key is this, and this is probably the most important thing. And if you don't catch anything, I really like you to catch this one. Is that we have to encourage boldly and prophetically. Encourage boldly and prophetically. Paul gives us a little glimpse of how this happens in his conversation in 2 Timothy with Timothy, uh, um, an adopted son, if you would, in the, of the faith. And he talks to a young Timothy who was just a mere teenager in 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7. And he says this, these beautiful words. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lewis, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is on you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Here we see a glimpse into what a prophetic encouragement looks like, almost from a father to a son, where Paul is looking at Timothy, knowing Timothy is called to ministry as a young man. He's not going to be looked upon favorably. He's going to have to walk into a room filled with knowledgeable people much older than him. He's going to have to train and instruct them. He's going to have to go into synagogues with, with uh, men who are, are experts of the law and begin to present the gospel to him. He understands all this, and he looks at Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I want to remind you of a prophetic word because Paul's actually referencing a conversation that had happened earlier at a time where Paul was there laying hands on him and said, hey, that gift... Timothy, that's in you, the gift to preach the word, to present the gospel, to lay hands on the sick, to do the powerful things that God's called you to, and indeed, he has called you to this. That gift has been in you. Matter of fact, it's been in you for two, three generations. It's bigger than you, Timothy, and it's been chasing you down, Timothy, and now it's caught up with you, Timothy, and now it's time to run, Timothy. It's time to be bold, Timothy. You know what Timothy did? Exactly what the prophetic word was. He did it. Why? Because one of the greatest tools that God has given us parents, listen to me, listen to me, please listen to me, is our ability to encourage, encourage prophetically. There are a lot of things that will pull on the attention of your kids, a lot of directions they will want to go, things that they will want to do, things that they will want to become, people that they will want to follow, both good and bad. There are things that they're going to want to explore. Many of us have tasted that. We've seen that. But the one thing that will stick into your kids' ribs and will guide them and will mold them is when we stand up and we speak prophetically into them and we tell them the things that God has called them to do and become. And when you do that, Because it's coming from you, it sticks on them, and it does not leave them. Not just because the word of God does not return void. Not just because the word of God is faithful to produce that which it has set forth to do, but because it is coming from the one person who God has given the responsibility to speak into their life. One of the greatest things we can do. Parents, I understand that this is a challenge because it requires that we are hearing from the Lord. It requires that we're spending time praying for our kids and asking the Holy Spirit, petitioning the Holy Spirit, 
and saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying about my children? What are you calling them into? What are you raising them up for? But I promise you, this one thing will raise your kids up to live beyond themselves and will keep the pinpoint of direction of God in them. It will keep the pinpoint of the direction of God in them. And parents, if you need a tool to put in your tool belt, begin to ask the Lord to speak to you prophetically about your kids. God, what do you want my daughter to be? What do you want my son to be? God, what are you speaking in them? I see the gifts that you put in them, the things I prayed for them, the things that you've been faithful to do. God, show me. Speak to my heart. Begin to tell me. Ask your friends to pray with you. Give people that you know and you trust, who love your children, permission to pray with you and over your kids. One of the greatest things we did is we let people who we know love our kids prophesy into our kids' lives. Because it does something so powerful and sets something undeniable inside of them. And I'm telling you, parents, listen, we're all begging for our kids to make great decisions and to choose great directions in their lives, especially as they get older. And there's no way for certain that we can make sure that they do it, right? But the one thing God has given us is the ability to encourage prophetically our children. Put that in your toolbox, parents. Begin to ask the Lord. Begin to ask the Lord for something specific for each of your kids that you can speak into them that can begin to resonate. And you'll know, you'll know, you'll know when you do because it, their eyes will light up that they'll see something, that will begin to resonate in them. Number three, number three, focus on good more than happy. Focus on good more than happy. We all want our kids to be happy, but happiness cannot be the primary goal. Smile. We all want our kids to be happy, but happiness cannot be the primary goal. Goodness must be the primary goal because goodness, when done and taught correctly, will produce happiness. Let me give you kind of an offbeat illustration of this from the Word. In Genesis 1.26, this is God's account, a conversation that the Godhead had concerning mankind and their original intent for mankind. In verse 26, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So here is this conversation, if you would, that God gives us a glimpse into in heaven between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the one God, the triune God. And they're saying, hey, we just got done building the most amazing thing. We created heavens and earth. We created all these living animals and all these wonderful trees and, and, and vegetation. And it is beautiful. Matter of fact, Genesis 125, God stands back from what he just created and makes this very powerful statement that actually gives us a bit of context on this idea of why God created man and he says, it is good. It is good. Now, here's what you have to understand. When you go, mm, it is good, it is not like God standing back and going, it is good. Because what God was saying was, it is 
perfect. It is complete. It is without flaw. And so here we see God creating mankind, and he goes and he says, look, we're going to create mankind in our image so that they can rule over all the things that we've created. Some of your Bibles say that they can have dominion over all the things that God has created. But here's what I want to tell you about that word rule, dominion, here is that this is not in the context of post-sin. Because when we think about that word, what do we think about? We think about authority, don't we? We think about somebody ruling over us. We think about a king. We think about some kind of figure that has all the power and has basically have the, has the control of putting his thumb down on us. But the context of this word is held before sin. And it's held properly in the understanding of the word good. And here's what God was saying, is that we want to create mankind who we can fellowship with, then can display the authority of our goodness on the earth. We want to have somebody out there who will display the goodness of, of our rulership on the earth. God was saying, we want to create people who are good like we are good. Remember, this is before sin. What was God teaching through his original children? The idea of goodness. That when we've captured God's heart, that we can begin to embrace the goodness of God. And the goodness of God does something marvelous in our life. See, here's what happens with our kids and why we have to teach our kids to be good more than we have to teach them to be happy. See, because happy circle is right here. It's right around us and it's temporary. Happiness is only what I like. Happiness is only what makes me feel good. Happiness is only things that do not make me cry, do not make me fuss, do not make me throw a fit. This is what happiness is. But goodness exceeds us past ourself. Goodness begins to put into view the needs of others. When my kids were little, when my kids were little, um, we, we would just say, look, things like sharing is caring, right? Barney helped us out a lot when, we, when my kids were little. I don't know if you all remember the purple dinosaur, but Barney was there for us. And, and he would sing songs like, you know, I love you, you love me, right? And like we would, we would our kids got that. And we would always teach our kids to do that. We would say, look, you got to share, you got to think about other people. We have, out of our five kids, um, what my, my middle child... <laughs> Abby, Abby is amazing. Abby had a, a, a bit of a trouble with this idea. When she was really little, about four, and Anna was three, Abby was all about princesses. Abby didn't say the first letter of every word she said. So instead of princess, it would be princess. Instead of crown, it would be round. Instead of castle, it would be, you figure it out. And so, on Anna's birthday, Anna got a princess crown. And we're videoing it, and we're singing happy birthday to Anna, and it's chubby cheeks, she's blowing out candles. And I'm not joking, 
Abby was right next to her as she unwrapped that thing and put it on her head and had negotiated a deal to get that thing off of her head and onto her head before she had a chance to let it like rest on her head. And she had that thing on her head like, I got it. I'm out. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine the time we had like trying to tell her you can't do this? But see, how did we do it? We didn't go about just, just smacking her on the hand. No, no, no. We, we began to teach her, listen, you have got to think about other people. And as our kids develop, we, we began to teach them, listen, you've got to think about the, the way other people are feeling. If you see somebody who is less fortunate than you, then you need to help them. If somebody is being picked on, you need to stand up for them. If somebody doesn't have something, you need to give them something. Why? Because it displays the goodness of God that is given to us. The things that we lack, he gives freely, doesn't he? And so here's the thing, is that if all we teach our kids is to be happy, then they're simply going to live for themselves and be worried about themselves. But if we begin to teach our kids to be good, they're going to extend past themselves and find the joy, which is true happiness, when they begin to serve other people. And so those lessons, parents, let me tell you, they're not in vain when you're sitting down with your two-year-old or three-year-old and they look at you like they don't understand, but you're telling them, you've got to share your toys. They're not in vain. Because really, in reality, what you're teaching them is not about sharing, but is about goodness. And when you sit down with your kids and you begin to explain to them as they get a little older that you need to help the kid who fell down because they're hurting, you need to take time because they're crying and you need to help them and put their arm around them. Guess what? That's not accidental because your kids aren't going to accidentally become tenderhearted. They're going to have to see it. They're going to have to be taught it. They're going to have to be taught the value of being good. Goodness is not the thing that defines us. The objective is not to stand back and just say simply we have good kids. The objective is... uh, have kids that are responsive to the goodness of God. But we teach them that by helping them understand the value of being good, the value of doing the right thing, the value of honoring. My dad was a military man, and he always told me, son, I don't care what you do, but you're going to honor authority. You're going to respect authority. And I did. I didn't do much else, but I did. And he told me, he said, listen, you're going to say that. You're going to do that. That's something that we do. And when my kids came up, there were times that they had to, and even times to this very day, that they have to look at people that maybe are not treating them fairly, people in authority, And they have to honor them because of who they are. Knowing full well, just like King David, that God honors those who show honor. And he protects our future. Okay, let's keep going. Number four. Discipline in love and with correction in mind. I want to read to you a couple scriptures here. Proverbs 19, 17, it says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will, be, he, will ha- he will give you delight 
to your heart. Proverbs 18, 19 says this, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. (laughs) That's kind of funny, right? Any parents ever been there? Well, I'm going to kill you. Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I'm not going to tell you this isn't a conversation about spanking or not spanking. This isn't a conversation about what method of discipline that you have. This is a conversation that the Scripture tells us that discipline is necessary. That there is a time in every child's life that they cross a line. And when that line is crossed, that law is crossed, that there needs to be disciplining involved. It's a necessary part of development for every child. Disciplining needs to be firm. It can't be something that's pushed back on. It can't be something that is always threatened. Disciplining is not threatening. Disciplining is not saying punishment is coming, is always coming, is always coming. Disciplining has to be firm. Disciplining needs to be explained past, this hurts me more than it hurts you. There has to be explanation as to why it's happening, why the correction is coming. Very simply, some of the times that I've disciplined my kids and the method that I've disciplined them, the justification has come even though they've repented. There still needs to be discipline. And I look at them and I say simply, listen, I love you so much that I need you to understand something. That there will come a day and a time that you're going to be given a choice to whether or not to obey a law. And the thought may come in your heart and your mind to violate the law. And when you do, and if you're penalized, you will repent and repent and repent. But the justice will always come after that. And I need you to understand that though this is not pleasant for me to do to you, Your decisions and your actions produce something. And I would rather you think about your decisions before they lead to death. And think about this so that in the future your decisions will lead to life. That seems like a pretty blown out explanation, doesn't it? But what happens when you have to discipline a teenager? What happens when you have to bring some kind of guidance to your kids as they age and they get older? See, it's not something that you can give up on and forfeit on. It's something, parents, that God has actually given you the responsibility of. Let me explain something to you guys that I heard that I thought was really wise. It's something that helps guide our disciplining. Is that when our kids are young and our kids are little, there is a time when things have to be held close together. That the boundaries and the laws in the house have to be close. Not just because they're, they're going to touch and get into everything and they're more likely to get in and do things they're not supposed to do, but because you're teaching them something. That you're teaching them the importance of obedience and the life that comes through obedience. And as they get older, it begins to fan out and fan out and fan out. Why? Because here's what happens in reverse. When we fail to do this when our children are young, when we create wide boundaries and there's a lack of discipline, here's what happens. Listen, parents, I know, I know, listen to me. I know this isn't something you expected to hear on a Sunday, but it's something maybe you need to hear. Is that when our boundaries are wide, 
and our children run free and out of control. And they don't ever learn the importance of understanding and listening and the guidance and the love of their parents. They still run out of control, but what we do is we try to clamp down harder and harder and harder as they get older. And can I tell you something, that as our kids get older, it almost becomes impossible to do that, doesn't it, parents? So the key is, when they're young, to set the boundaries and the discipline necessary to guide their character and begin to bring them into life. Discipline has to have a positive spin. It has to be followed up with something that is positive, love and encouragement that comes after that. Number five, model a lifestyle that reflects what you want your kids to become. Titus 2.7 says, In everything, set them at an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, sobriety. This is simple. This is simple. You want your kids to grow up and to love the people they marry, then love your spouse. I chase my wife all over the house. My kids get disgusted by it. They're like, get a room, Dad. I'm like, I do. As a matter of fact, I got all the rooms. So y'all get out, all right? <laughs> you know why I do that? Because my dad did that. I love my wife. My dad loved my mom. I love my wife. I love my wife. I want my kids to see me love my wife. I want them to see me be affectionate with my wife, to kiss my wife. I want them to see that. Why? Because I want them to model that. I want them to know that when they get older. I want my kids to work hard. What do you got to do? You got to work hard. You want your kids to love Jesus passionately. Guess what you got to do? Love Jesus passionately. You want your kids to be bold. Then you know what? You have to be bold. You have to take big steps. Parents, listen, don't tell your kids they can do anything they want. You can be anything you want when you're not doing anything you're called to do. I don't want to be heavy. I'm not trying to be heavy. I'm trying to be honest. Listen, we're all trying to raise up world changers, aren't we? Come on. We're all trying to raise up some world changers. We want our kids to make a difference in this generation. Hey, guess what the future is? As we watch the world kind of go this wonky direction, we're not sure where it's going. You know where the hope is? It's in your kids. It's in your grandkids. We want to see some bold acts. We want to see some kids living for Jesus. Guess what? Live for Jesus while you're doing it. You do it. Live for Jesus boldly. Take big steps. You want your kids to dream, you dream big. Whatever you want your kids to become, you got to model it. You got to model it. You want your kids to be fearless, be fearless. You want your kids to be committed to work, then work hard. You want your kids to have fun, then have fun with them. That's easy. We have to live it. Number six, create boundaries that reinforce values. Every family needs boundaries in their life for their kids. We have to have boundaries in place. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Train up a child the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have to understand, again, the flow of boundaries. We need to have boundaries for our kids. In our house, we had a bedtime. Kids were in bed at a certain time. You got to have a bedtime for your kids. It doesn't matter when. Have it. You have to have things in place 
times to be home. When your kids get older, you have to have boundaries in place. My kids know that if they tell me a certain time, if I tell them a certain time, that whatever time, oh, one, I'm on the phone with them. I'm figuring out where they are. And they have better be on the road, back to the house. They've got to be. Why? Because it's a boundary. And boundaries provide something. Boundaries are like guardrails in our life. You know what the purpose of a guardrail is? To keep you from falling off the cliff. See, guardrails are no fun, but guardrails tell us a couple of things. They tell us this, that if I hit this, I'm probably going to do damage to my car. I've actually done that before. But it also tells me that X amount of feet over the side of this is something that I do not want to be in. Something that could take my life. And parents, listen, I know, I know especially, and let me speak to just a moment where your kids are getting older and it's tougher to put these things on, but you have to have these things because you are seeing the direction your kids are going. You, are know, what, you know what God is saying about them and you need to put the boundaries in their life to direct them to the places they need to be. Boundaries for church. Boundaries for, for, for activities. Boundaries for times for dinner. Whatever it is. Boundaries for keeping your room clean. Boundaries for this. Why? All these things reinforce something in their life that they need to have that is necessary for them to become who they were created to be. You have to have boundaries. Number seven. This is it. Justin, come on up. Put God first in your home. Put God first in your home. Make sure that God is number one in your home. One of the things that I'm the most thankful for growing up with my my parents, a couple of things, I've said this a bunch. I actually heard somebody do this on the phone this last week, and it, it shocked me. It literally, it stopped me and made me say something to them. My mom used to answer the phone, praise the Lord. My friend group got smaller and smaller. I heard a gentleman on the phone with Keith Dawes, a friend of Keith Dawes that we were in the truck last week. And this gentleman answered the phone, praise the Lord. And I, I was getting out of his truck and I stopped. And I, and I waited for him to have a break in his conversation. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, thank you for answering the phone like that. The only other person in this world I knew that did that was my mom. I guess she wasn't crazy. <laughs> uh, that, I just like to tell that story. That really didn't make any sense. <clears throat> but one thing my mom did was this, is that my mom and my dad both, when we got sick, they would say, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to heal you. We're going to go to the doctor. We always went to the doctor. I got medication. I'm not, this is weird. But they would say, let's pray. Let's believe God. What was she doing? What were they doing? They're putting God first. My parents always made us go to church. Well, not always, but most of the time. 
But you know the thing my mom didn't do? Is she didn't live, my dad didn't live a Christianity that was mute and dull. That my mom and my dad were always talking about things God was doing, miracles God was doing, talking about things that God could do on the earth. And see, what they weren't doing was just kind of the thing that we always lean to and we say, put God first. Okay, pastor, I know I need to get to church more. I need to get my kids in church. You, you do. If, if you're not, you do, yeah. But it's more than that, really. It's, it's really this idea of saying, begin to really put God first in your life. Like, hey, God, what do you, what do you want to do? God, how can you begin to pour out your spirit in a powerful way? And my parents took me to things that our church did where we would rent out the high school auditorium and the high school stadium. And we would have services that would fill up the stadium and the power of God would show up. See, here's what I'm telling you is this, is that my, my parents just didn't want it to be mediocre. And here's what I got to experience that connected me into something beyond church was this, was this idea that God is alive and God is powerful and God loves us and God is moving and God is stirring and God is doing amazing things on the earth. And you want to be connected into it. You want to experience, you want to be right in the middle of it. But I wouldn't have known any of that if it wasn't modeled in my home, if it wasn't seen in my home. Now, now I don't want you to misunderstand me. I, I didn't come out of that situation perfectly. I didn't come out of that situation always passionate about the Lord. And for certain, my older brother and sister didn't. But here's something that always reconnected in our life, is that in those moments when we hit a bottom, in those moments when things got rough, we knew where to look. We knew where to go, and we never denied that God was alive, and God was real, and God was who he said he was, even when our hearts were broken. And when you put God first in your home, you're putting God first in your conversations. You're putting God first in your needs. You're honoring him first. You're sticking to his word above all things. That's what it means. This morning, listen, no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of your parenting ability or where you are with your kids, just a couple of things, super fast, is this. Start the conversation. If you're married, start the conversation. If you're not in a relationship where you can talk to your spouse about these things, start the conversation with the Lord. Where do I want to be in relationship with the way I parent my kids? What do I want to see God do? Begin to hear God's heart about what he's saying about your kids. Make time to make the necessary changes. One thing at a time. If you're in a hole in your parenting, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't give up. I don't care where you are in, in, the, in the scheme of things. I don't care how old your kids are. I don't care how young they are. Don't give up. As the Lord speaks to you, make one change at a time. Make one time a week to pray for your kids. 
Make one time a week to have a conversation that's life-giving with your kids. One time a week to have a life-giving conversation with your kids. If you feel like you don't have anybody you can lean on, then look around this room. And it's pretty obvious, the folks who have been down this road, who have parented, and they're very honest. We've got great people here who have parented and seen kids grow and walk through the bumps and the bruises of parenting, have come out the other side and have said, God, it's possible with you. Maybe you need a mentor. Maybe you need somebody in your life you can talk to. Maybe you need that. This is what the body of Christ is for, and you've got to reach out for it. If you are stuck in a place where you feel helpless in your parenting, then reach out to somebody. This is what the body of Christ is for. Let me pray for you this morning as we close. Thank you all for your time. I appreciate it. I really do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in your word you declare that children are a blessing from the Lord. Father, every parent here, let those words come out of their heart and out of their mouth, that children are a blessing from the Lord. Lord, I know that there are parents here that may be brokenhearted, may be heavy. So Holy Spirit, begin to be grace to them right now. Begin to be grace for them right now. Speak into their heart words of life and encouragement, things that you are speaking about their kids, that in the next few days they can begin to give as a gift of life to their child. Holy Spirit, for every one of us here who are parenting, Lord, we thank you, God, that you love our children more than we can, that you promised wonderful things about them, and that you've given us the great privilege of parenting our kids. God, speak to us. Lord, speak words of life to us concerning our kids. Speak prophetically to us about our kids, God. Lord, give us the courage to love our kids boldly. Give us the courage to train our kids to become who you have called them to be and what you're calling them to be. I pray for strength for every parent here. Father, I also pray for those here that, Lord, are, are expecting kids or soon to have kids. Lord, I pray, Father God, that your word would just seep down deep into their hearts, that joy would fill their hearts as they begin to think about the future. Father, I pray for those here that this, this morning, God, that desire children. Father, that... Up to this point, it's not been something possible. Holy Spirit, I'm praying right now that you begin to do something miraculous and powerful. Lord, for those folks that desire kids that can't have them, Lord, if that's in their heart, I ask you to open up wombs, Father God, to make things right. Lord, to let life spring forth, to give children, God. Father, supernaturally, by your spirit.
I thank you for that, Lord. Father, I thank you again, Lord, for your word that leads us and guides us into the best places of truth that bring life to us. We honor your word. Holy Spirit, we honor the work that you're doing in us. Grow us closer and closer to the revelation of the Son every day, I pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Carl, Marilyn, Keith and Carol, if y'all come up. It's somebody's birthday. Happy birthday to them. It's okay. Whoever it is, really, happy birthday to you. Hope you have a great birthday. Thank you all again. And just in all gentleness and all love and all sincerity, I, I want to declare grace over you today. And I pray that above all things that the Word of God has been encouraging to you, that you see your life filled with hope only through the Word, that you see your life filled with hope toward your kids. And remember, remember this about your kids, that no matter what kind of knucklehead they are right now, no matter what kind of pain in the boot they are right now, that intently God has hardwired their hearts to you. And no matter the strain on the communication right now, no matter the distance or the difficulty, God has hardwired your hearts to them. See, our God is really passionate about that, isn't he? He declares in his word that he connects the orphans into families. Isn't that amazing? That God loves the relationship between parents and children so much. And so I just declare grace to you, no matter what that spread is like, that the love and the grace of God would fill your heart and that the Holy Spirit would begin to just smooth over that and cause a bridge of restoration and love and communication to happen. And listen to me. Please listen to me here. God is able to do it. He loves you. And if you trust him, he will do it. Amen. So I just declare peace and grace over every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer for anything or would like anybody to join with you in prayer concerning anything, please come up. We believe God heals, he restores, and he sets free. Thank you so much.